so we're starting a new series today, and we're calling this series uh, Money Matters, okay? And I want to take a few minutes to kind of set it up, because I, I know this is a, uh, a difficult topic and a sensitive topic, and I want to set it up for you uh, this morning. Uh, as I was preparing for this series, my mind went back to when I was in high school, and I had a friend who was... Um, I don't know what you want to say. He, he, he's kind of on the edge, you know what I mean? He's one of these guys that kind of live loose. And, uh, and I remember he said to me one day, he goes, look, here's the way, you know, you got two teenagers in high school fixing all the world's problems. That's what's happening. And he said, look, here's the way I think about it. Um, I'm going to be in debt all my life, and I'm going to make payments all my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shrink my payments as low as I can get them like a, a week, on a monthly basis, and I'm just going to have fun and enjoy my life and then leave the debt to somebody else. <laughs> and i got to be honest with you. As a teenager, that kind of sounded, you know, pretty good. I thought, yeah, yeah, I mean, all the things I can't afford. I grew, in a, uh, I grew up in a lower middle income family that struggled a lot. We oftentimes lived paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, we had hard times. We had to make a lot of sacrifices. And I thought, hey, look, if the whole system's rigged anyway... And, uh, you know, I'm never going to be able to get to do all the things that other people do. Then why not? Just float it. You know, put it on a credit card and I'll make payments the rest of my life. I'm going to make payments the rest of my life anyway, so I might as well enjoy it. And uh, I'm so grateful that that philosophy uh, never took root in my heart or life. And I'm grateful that I got some good teaching uh, because it helped me to uh, live a whole different life. And I'm real grateful for that. But I just want to start this morning by saying this. So how, how are we doing? As a society, how are we doing with our money? Well, let me give you a few uh, current stats, okay? 40% of U.S. adults say money is negatively impacting their mental health. Four in ten. 87% of Americans say inflation and the rising cost of everyday goods is what's driving their stress. How many, how many of you know inflation's up? If you've been to the grocery store ever, <laughs> you know, lately, you know that uh, the same things you used to buy are a lot higher than they, than they used to be. 90% of people who are in debt do not know how much they owe. No idea. 90%, not 90% of people, 90% of people in debt. Now, if you track the numbers and find out how many people in America are in debt, a lot, and 90% of those in debt have no idea how much they owe. 95% have no idea when the payoff day is. So although it might not be intentional, a lot of us Americans are kind of living like my friend said when I was in high school. Just float it out there in the future somewhere, you know, we'll deal with it later. So uh, I'm not an economist. I don't claim to know a ton about the, the economy. But from everything that I hear and read, we are either in a recession <laughs> or sometime early next year we'll be in a recession. And one of the reasons that that's remarkable is because we have a lot of people who are in leadership today who've never led in a recession. Like the last time we had a recession, they weren't leading anything or teaching. And so it's going to be a whole new experience for a lot of people. Now, I hadn't heard a lot of people debate on whether or not we're going to actually be in a recession. The debate that I've heard is, how bad is the recession going to be? And of course, nobody knows the answer to that. But we can begin to feel the pinch. 
I mean, our government has, in this area, has failed us because our government just keeps writing checks like, you know, and going in debt like we're never going to have to pay it off. This year, in February, we passed $30 trillion in debt as a country. $30 trillion. It's the greatest debt in world history. <laughs> welcome, welcome to America. Our culture has failed us because it glamorizes lifestyles that most of us can't afford. But we keep going in debt, you know, trying to catch up with it. So we live in a culture where debt is a lifestyle. And I can tell you, nothing will steal your joy and nothing will steal your peace like financial pressure. It'll just choke you out, wring you out like a, like a rag. So in this series, what I want to say to you is, I know it's a difficult time, and it's a difficult topic in a difficult time. But what I want to say to you is, look, in this series, there's no traps, there's no tricks, we're not raising money for anything, all right? The offering's already been taken, we're not, we're not taking another one, there are no special fundraising drives that our church is doing. I want to offer you three things in this series. One is I want to offer you hopefully good teaching. Two, I want to offer you help. And three, I want to offer you hope. Okay? So that's what the series is going to be about. And I hope that you'll open your heart and, uh, and just receive what we're teaching. So here's a question I want to answer as we uh, start this subject. Does money matter to God? Because I think we have this kind of compartmentalized spirituality sometimes that God cares about what you do on Sunday, but he doesn't, you know, you're kind of on your own the rest of the week. Figure it out, you know, and then come to church and work it out. Or on, on money, you're on your own. You know, God doesn't care about that. Well, if, if the sheer number of times that a subject is mentioned in the Bible has any reflection on how much God cares about it, um, let's look at it. In the Bible, we see uh, 500 times a reference to faith. 500 times. 600 times we see a reference to prayer. Now, nobody would argue, sitting here on a Sunday morning looking at me, that prayer and faith are, are unimportant. Well, in the Bible, 2,350 times we see references to money. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined? You like how I said that? Hail. You like that? <laughs> heaven. My southern got me. Hail. Heaven and hail. Try that again. Heaven and hell. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Combined, Jesus talked more about money than he did about both of those subjects. And we all agree those subjects are important. Half of Jesus' parables... Half of them were about money or materialism or something in that area. So, how do we answer the question, is money important to God? Y yes. Yes, money's important to God. Now, another question is, why does money matter to God? Well, I want to I answer that question too. And, and, and I want to say to you, um, we're going to look at one of those parables that Jesus um, taught from about money. And I... I, I gained great inspiration from a pastor named Pete Scazzaro, uh, who's, you know, written a lot of books about maturity and wisdom. And uh, I really drew a lot and actually was turned on to this parable from his 
uh, teaching. So I want to share some of that with you today and some of my own thoughts too. So there's this parable in Luke chapter 16 about a manager. He worked for a rich man. And we don't know what kind of business they were in, but it was a really wealthy company. And this guy who was managing the rich man's wealth uh, was accused by his manager, I mean, his, uh, the owner. The owner called him in and said, look, uh, you've been a bad manager, you're a poor manager, we don't know the details, but he just said, listen, um, you're fired. You did such a bad job, I'm going to fire you. I'm giving you the background of the parable you can read in Luke chapter 16. He fired him, but he said this, I want you to finish up your work, and when your work is done, you're fired. That's it. And, and you can imagine this guy um, who's facing imminent unemployment. Like, uh, his world's about to change. I can imagine he has a mortgage, has a wife, children. You know, somebody got to pay the cell phone bill. You know what I mean? You got to keep internet on at the house. You know, like, he's got issues coming. And he's worked for a rich, rich man, and so he's been afforded this incredible lifestyle. But it's all about to come to an end in just, you know, a little while. And so he needs to make friends. And he needs to make friends fast. And um, so what he does is he was the manager of, his, of the rich man's accounts. So he calls in these two guys that own, owe, owe his boss some money. And the first guy owed uh, 900 gallons of olive oil, which doesn't mean anything to us. I mean, you know, we have a, we have a pint on the shelf. 900 gallons of olive oil would have been worth about $120,000 in today's currency. So here's what he said. He said, hey, I tell you what, you owe my boss $120,000. How about we make it $60,000? And we'll call it even. The guy's like, what? Really? I mean, you're, you're forgiving $60,000? He goes, absolutely, man. I'll, I'll have the money too. And he says, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. And the guy says, I will. <laughs> so then the next guy comes in and he says, um, what do you owe my boss? Oh, a thousand bushels of wheat which would be worth about uh, $300,000. A lot of money. This is a lot of money in today's currency. He says, tell you what, what if I give you a 20% discount and uh, you just pay the rest and we'll call it even? And the guy said, are you kidding me? That's amazing. Yes, yes, I'll take the discount. I'll do it. I can't believe it. That's awesome. Thank you. And he says, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. What do you think the guy says? I will. <laughs> oh, I'll let you know. Now, now here's what's amazing. We, we read the story so far and we say, man, this guy's a crook. Like, like he has no integrity. He just stole. He just took money out of his boss's pocket who fired him. He gave it to people who owed his boss money so that he could buy favor. He could buy friendship with him. It's not even his money. This guy has no integrity. He ought to, you know, we're all going, yeah, he ought to be fired. But now here's what's interesting. Are you ready? <laughs> Here comes the shock. At Jesus' parables oftentimes have something shocking about them. And here's the shocking part. Jesus commended the, the dishonest man. Listen to what Jesus said. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That's not a word we use very often. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Can you, can you imagine how this might play out this week? You know, somebody says, what'd you learn at church Sunday? Well, I learned that everything my boss has is really up to mine if I could just grab it. I learned still from the, is that a laptop? I like that. 
Yeah. You like that chair? Take it home. That's what I learned at church Sunday. Can you imagine the newsreel just rolling through with Kingwood people walking out in handcuffs? What happened? I was just trying to follow Jesus. I mean, I was just doing what, you know, Jesus said. I wanted to be shrewd. I wanted to be, you know, wise. Well, look, before we go that direction, okay, please, and, and just stay off social media altogether, but, but please, before you take that and run with it, this, is, this parable has a little bit of complexity to it, and let's go a little bit deeper, okay? Jesus commended the man not for his dishonesty, but he used an example of a dishonest man to shock his disciples. It's kind of shocking to us, isn't it? Shocking that Jesus would say something like that. Because he's trying to shake them and get their attention and say, hey, listen, <laughs> I mean it. This is a big deal. This is serious. But he commended him for his shrewdness. Now, now we would probably use the word wisdom. It's a slightly different take on it, but it's the same basic idea. And so, um, it, this past summer, we did a series at Kingwood uh, on the book of Psalms. And as I studied the book of Psalms, and I, I taught from Psalm chapter 1, I came across a definition I'd never heard. If you look in the original Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament was written in, at the word wisdom, here's one of the thoughts that emerge. It means long-term thinking. In other words, the ability to not just react in the moment, but to, but to pause and to, and to consider what's best in the long run. That sounds wise, doesn't it? I want to do what's best in the long run, not what's just best for today. Boy, we have examples all over our culture. I wish we were doing more of that. I wish our government, rather than just rolling up $30 trillion of debt, would think about the long term, because it's coming, and we're going to have to deal with it somewhere. So long-term thinking and wisdom has to do with not acting impulsively and not panicking and not being led by feelings, not just reacting for the short-term gain, I think that's probably why the housing bubble blew up back in 07 and 08. They were lending money to people who couldn't pay it back, but they couldn't resist the short-term profit. And poof! Because there was no wisdom. There was no long-term thinking. So I'll give you an example from history. Uh, you, you may have heard of or studied a man named uh, Andrew Carnegie from Carnegie Hall and, and all of that. Andrew Carnegie was a Scottish immigrant. He came to America at 12 years old, um, or, or he came as a child, but by the time he was 12, he had to drop out of school and work. He only had four years of education. And he did work, and he you know, became the owner of U.S. Steel and sold it for a lot of money, and he made a lot of money. At that time, he was the richest man in the world. His net worth at his peak back in that time would be, in today's money, 300 billion dollars, which by the way, would be more money than Bill Gates, Sam Walton, uh, and uh, let, me, let me see who else, and Warren Buffett. There's a, there's a name you've heard of. Combined. So this guy was drowning in wealth. And he committed as a young man, before he even had wealth, before he even had a lot of money, he made a commitment. He said, what I want to do is I want to give all my money away before I die. 
And so he did. He spent the last 18 years of his life trying to invest his money and give his money away and to try to make a difference in people's lives. Now, uh, in his lifetime, he created tens of thousands of jobs. He improved uh, millions of people's lives. Now, I'm not saying he was a Christian. He was not a Christian, and he did some really bad things. <laughs> and I'm not, we're not talking about those today. But he did make a big difference. Now, he never made an eternal difference, but he made a huge difference in the here and now. He gave over 7,000 pipe organs to churches. He invested in universities and arts and teachers, and he personally funded 2,811 libraries. Libraries were very important to him because education was not accessible to him. He never had a formal education, but he wanted to make education accessible to as many people as possible. So he funded 2,811 libraries. Andrew Carnegie had something that we call wisdom. He had foresight. He wasn't just living for the moment. He wasn't just living for the day. He wasn't just being being led by the impulses of the, of the moment or what's going to turn a profit next month or in six months or at Christmas. He was looking at the long term. Now, I think this is the kind of wisdom that Jesus was talking about. Actually, Andrew Carnegie said this, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. And I think this is the kind of wisdom that Jesus was talking about in this parable, long-term thinking. And Jesus was actually talking to the disciples. He was talking to the church. And he was basically saying this, hey, look, there's some things you can learn from people who don't even know me. Now, pick up the story in verse 9. Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is he saying? Use wealth to gain friends because one day the wealth's going to be gone and all that's going to be left are the friends. Unless you didn't use it that way. And by the way, that's exactly what this guy in this parable was doing. He knows his job's going to end. He knows he's got a closing window to, you know, rob his boss. And so he does it. And therefore, when his job is gone and the salary's gone, guess what he's got? He's got two friends. He's got two friends that are indebted to him because he helped them out. He, showed them a, he, he relieved some of the pressure that was on their life. So basically what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's not saying rob, he's not saying steal, he's not saying be dishonest. He's making a, a very clear point about wisdom and long-term thinking, and he's saying, Look, manage your life in a way that you'll make friends in heaven. Use your time, use your money, use your energy, use your influence, use your creativity, use your thought so that you will make friends in heaven. So that when you get to heaven, there will be friends there to welcome you. So, so maybe one day you and I walk into heaven and somebody walks up to us and says, I'm so glad you're here. You were one of the few Christians at, my, at where we worked. Like you made such a difference in my life. You always stopped to care about me. Like our, our job wasn't about that. We just grinded people up. We were just chewing it up. But you cared. And man, that showed me something. You were different at school. You know, you, you, you didn't get in all the, all the stupid uh, f- current fight issues of the day. You, you just lived your life and loved people and showed people Jesus. You know what? I'm here. You taught, my, uh, uh, you taught my kids church. 
You were one of the leaders. You were my small group leader. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, maybe an orphan in Romania says, you sent a team from your church to our country or sent a missionary to our country that introduced Jesus to me. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. You see, friends in heaven. So then when you walk into the gates of heaven, you have a line of people there waiting for you saying, hey, you're here. I'm glad you're here. You know what that's called? Wisdom. That's called long-term thinking. That's called playing the long game. And so I think it's so interesting that you have this manager who's wise. Now, I want you to think for a minute what he could have done. There's no spin, if you read the story. There's no blurry-eyed emotion. There's no knee-jerk reaction. I mean, think about it. What he could have done is he could have gone on the defense. He could have said, can you believe how after all I've done, what he did to me, he's going to fire me? How's he going to fire me? He has no idea how much I've sacrificed. He has no idea the work that I've done. He doesn't even see the long hours that I've worked. How's he going to fire me? He could have went on the defense. He could have said, man, I'm going to slash his tires. I'm going to key his car. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spam him to death. You know, I'm going to get on the internet and just blah, blah, blah all over town about how bad my boss is and what he did and all of this. I'm going to go in and shoot the place up, you know. He could have reacted so many ways, but you know what he did? He used wisdom. And he thought before he acted, and he said, wait a minute. Is any of that best in the long run? No. So he slowed down, he backed up, and he said, I'm going to choose what's best in the long run. And this is what Jesus is commending. Now, Jesus is teaching his disciples about life. He's teaching them about wisdom. And now, and now he shifts and he starts applying this teaching to money. Look at verse um, 10 and 11. Whoever can be trusted with very little, if you're, if you're reading in a, something you can underline, underline that word. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. In the original Greek, that very little means little, 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 little. <laughs> means for real, for real, not much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So here it is. Here's the, here's the, here's the teaching. We see these phrases in this um, parable where he says very little, and what he means by very little is money. Okay? And he also uses the word much. What he means by much is spiritual maturity and eternal friends. Okay? So whoever is um, untrustworthy with money will be untrustworthy with spiritual maturity and eternal friends. See, it's the same. All right, now go to the next uh, couple of phrases. He says worldly wealth. So here again, whoever's untrustworthy with money will also be untrustworthy with spiritual maturity and eternal friends. They will be untrustworthy with true riches. So, so here's what he's trying to say to them. Listen, the very, very little is, is money on earth. Which what he's saying is, look, m- money never really belongs to us. You know that, right? 
Because there's going to come a day that everything that you have is going to belong to somebody else. It's either going to be your spouse or your kids or a creditor or somebody else is going to have it because you and I are going to die and everything that we have is going to be in somebody else's hands being managed by somebody else. So if it's not ours forever, it's really not ours. Contrast that now, that very little, to eternal riches. When you get to heaven and you walk in the gate and you have developed and allowed the Holy Spirit to build in you spiritual maturity, guess what? It's yours forever. When you get to heaven and there's a line of people with tears down their face saying, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. You know what the, how long that lasts? Forever. Forever. So it's a, whole, it's a whole different value system. So here's the principle. Let me just show you the principle like this. If you gave your child $10 and you said, now, it's $10, you know, you're only whatever, eight years old or whatever. Spend it well. Well, if they went and just bought the biggest bucket of Skittles they could find, you know, for $10 and, and, you know, 23 cents, they found some change in the car. And on the way home, they ripped the bag open and rolled the window down and just started slinging them out the window. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Woo! Look at the birds diving for it, you know, like it's a Mardi Gras parade, you know, woo! I bet, I bet the next thing you would do is not to say, you did so good with that $10. Let daddy give you a thousand. Why? Because the child that hadn't learned to handle the $10 is not going to do well with a thousand. So what God's not going to do is he's not going to open the depths of spiritual riches and maturity to the person who hasn't proven trustworthy with smaller things. The $10 is the money that we manage on earth compared to the millions and billions and trillions of dollars worth of eternal value (laughs) that we have in heaven. And so we've said this, look, we've talked about this for months now. Coming out of the pandemic, we can't go back to what we were. We have to go deeper. And if we're going to go deeper, we have to understand what spiritual maturity is. And we have to understand where it comes from. And we have to understand how it's produced. And so I've, I've had some time to consider this principle. And... I've contrasted it to our culture. In, in our culture, you know, a person's valued by how much money they have. The more money you have, the more important that you are on earth. That's kind of the way it works, right? And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. That's not how it works in the kingdom. In the kingdom, your value is your character, In the kingdom, your value is not your bank account or not what's in your wallet or not what's on your Venmo account. What what matters in the kingdom is your spiritual maturity and your heavenly mindedness. That's what matters. That's what eternal riches look like. That's what true riches look like. Look, God doesn't want your money. Think, just, just try to think reasonably with me about a friend. God doesn't need your money. If he needed your money, he'd take it. He would just take it. Isn't that what the government does? 
well, we got this gas tax, you know, we're going to, we just keep spending money, you know, like there's a vortex in the universe that's just sucking all the money out of the country, but we need to raise your taxes. How about you spend less? There's an idea. No, we'll just take more. <laughs> God's not the government. And he doesn't function like the government. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> and he doesn't need your money. If he needed your money, he'd take it. But he doesn't need it because God doesn't need anything because he's God. <laughs> he's complete. God wants something for you, not something from you. But we have to engage in that exchange. So, here's the answer. You ready? Why does God... Why does money matter to God? Because managing money is one of the tools God uses to bring you to spiritual maturity and eternal fruitfulness. I've I've been thinking about this series for a few months. And I've I've been racking my brain trying to think, who in my life, Who I've lived in five states and different churches and all of that, and I kept trying to think, who in my life do I know who is sloppy with money, but who, who, who I would also consider to be spiritually mature. Like, who is that? And I've thought about it, 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 and I've thought about the people that I've known, and I've thought about the leaders that I've known, and I can't think of one person that I would consider spiritually mature who's sloppy with money. It doesn't mean you have to be a, a, an accountant or a, a perfect or you know, a bookkeeper, or I'm not any of those. I don't, I don't manage in detail. I tend to manage on the big picture. And so I, you know, I'm not perfect, and my, my money's not perfect. And God never said that anybody's money has to be perfect, okay? It's not what we're talking about. Everybody doesn't have to be Dave Ramsey, you know, tomorrow, okay? But when there's sloppiness and impulsiveness and short-term thinking and, and all of that, that's not, a, that's not an environment that grows a spiritually mature person. So, I do know people who are good with money who aren't even Christians. <laughs> so, the, like Andrew Carnegie. So, the other way around is, is, you know, just because you're good with money doesn't make you spiritually mature. You might be good with money not even go to heaven. So, you can have it that way. But you can't be spiritually mature and sloppy with money. Because money is one of the tools God uses to bring us to spiritual maturity and eternal fruitfulness. So, what can we do today to help you? I said at the beginning, I want to bring you help in teaching. So that's the teaching. Let me give you some help. So, um... In your life group guide, now this won't be for everybody, but it is for some people, and I want to emphasize it here. In our life group guide, we're starting a life group this fall, at the end of this month, actually called Managing Money God's Way. But I want to tell you right up front, we've limited it to like high school seniors, 19, 20-year-old, 20s, up to 30. And here's the reason why. It was a big um, interest for me, on my heart, I wanted to help our younger millennials and Gen Z who have grown up in a very strange and difficult economic time. So, if you're in that demographic, I'm, I'm imploring you, I'm encouraging you. We won't always have a group, I don't know if we'll ever have a group again that's limited to one age group. 
But if you're in that age group, we want to help you. The life group, the QR code we put here, the, you can talk to the host after service, and you can find the link. Sign up. Get in there. It's about eight or nine weeks. We'll meet Sunday afternoons. We've got great teachers. Um, it's $35. If you absolutely cannot afford it, come talk to me. I will help you figure it out. We'll find it. We want to help you. Okay, we'll learn about budgeting and learn about savings and learn about debt and learn about all kind of things. Okay, um, second thing, um, we're building an online resource that's going to become available as we get to the end of this uh, series, and uh, we'll talk more talk more about that as we get closer to the end of the series. And that will be available twenty four seven on our website. You just go there, and we'll have links, we'll have resources, we have a lot of good things to help you. Uh, third, we're starting a financial peace small group early next year for everybody, for all God's children, <laughs> okay? So if you want to be in that, and it'll teach a lot of the same things this one is teaching uh, this fall. This one's just tailored to younger people. That'll be kind of open to everybody. Um, so that'll help you. Here's the, here's the last thing. I want to give you a practical tool today that will help you. So 30%, only 30% of American households have a long-term financial plan. Only 30%, that's it. So if you were to say, well, what could I do? What could I do to be a better manager of my money? Because I want to I be spiritually mature. What could I do? The number one single greatest, easy, easier, simpler step you could take is just make a budget. Like, that's it. That's the, if, I, if I could encourage you to do one thing, make a budget. And what I did today is I brought for you the simplest Easiest math, I know. I am not a detailed math person. I'm a big, I didn't even do good in math, okay? Um, so I brought you the simplest framework that I've learned that I think will help you today, and I, and I want to show it to you. Here's a way to make a simple, simple budget, okay? If you will look at your expenses, your budget, and say 70% of our budget needs to be spent on expenses like housing and electricity and, you know, water and food and you know, whatever the kids got to have and all that. Uh, 10% to savings. So what that is, is, um, you know, a lot of people in America, what we do is we put Christmas on our credit card and then we spend the first quarter or half of the next year paying last year's Christmas off. You do know that you pay more for everything when you do it that way, right? Like if I were to tell you, hey, how would you like to pay 10% more for all your expenses than everybody else? You'd say, I don't want to do that. That's what credit card living is. So it'd be nice if you saved in advance and then got to Christmas and you went, done. Uh, or, or whatever you're saving for, vacation, so 10% savings, 10% in retirement. Uh, you know, obviously that's a complicated thing. If you start later in life, you can't do 10% because you won't catch up. But if you start earlier in life, over time, that'll be good. And then 10% in giving. Uh, the Bible teaches that as tithing. So I just call it the 70 10 10 10 Okay, so, so 70% in expenses, if you live too far outside of those percentages, you're going to be overstrained and probably in debt, and you'll have a hard time ever getting out. But that will help you pay less for everything and live, and live with a resource. So I want to just offer that to you today uh, as help. Now, where's the hope? <laughs> where's the hope? Everybody look at me for a minute, okay? I want to give you the hope. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you, you are not 
uh, in the family that you grew up in, okay? If you grew up in a difficult family or rough family or debt-buried family or broken family, you are not in the family that you grew up in. You're in Jesus' family. And so you've been made a new creation. (laughs) And you've been given a new life. And all those old ways can pass away and Jesus wants to lead you to new ways of life. And I just want you to imagine yourself breaking free and living a life of spiritual maturity and wisdom. Imagine how it would feel (laughs) to not be dragging around the weights from the past, dragging around habits and problems from three or four generations ago, but having those things broken in Jesus' name once and for all and living in freedom and liberty and joy and peace, not in pressure and pain. Brokenness. And that's what God wants for you. Here's the thing. God doesn't care about, you know, we break our life up in segments and we think, well, God cares about whether I came to church Sunday or not, you know. Well, yeah, but He doesn't care about Monday or He cares about, you know, that I give to Him, but He doesn't care about the other 90%. Or We break these things up. Listen, listen. God, in, in, in God's eyes, you are one person. You are one person. You are a son or a daughter of God and He loves you as a whole person and He cares about every part of your life. Every part of your life. And He has a good plan. He has a better plan for your life than you have for it. And He cares about every part. But but here's the cliff, isn't it? The cliff is, will I trust Him? Will I trust Him? Well, as we pray, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Would you stand with me? I want to try to declare to you today that here's the hope. God's absolutely trustworthy. We sang it a minute ago, man. He's never lost a battle. He won't fail you. And He won't use you. And He won't tax you. And He won't use use you for His own benefit that's not also beneficial to you and life-giving to you. So would you just close your eyes with me for a moment and let's pray. And our worship team's going to lead us in this song. And as they do, man, I want us just to surrender the issues of our heart to a God who cannot love you more, who wants the best for you. Lord, thank you today. Thank you today that there's hope. (laughs) Thank you for help. Thank you for the love of God that will never disappoint. God, I thank you today that as we've gathered, your presence and your spirit is here moving and changing and shifting hearts and minds and giving new paradigms and moving us toward greater freedom. So Lord, today we reach out to receive the freedom that you came to give.